the scripture lesson for this evening, the basis for the message that I'll share here momentarily, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20b through chapter 6, verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes, We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way, through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. The word of the Lord. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Just a couple of weeks ago, I, along with my family, was over at the Orpheum in Omaha, and we watched the play To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, perhaps you're familiar with this story. It's, it's the, the well-known book by Harper Lee that came out many, many years ago. Many of you probably read it in school at one time or another. And we watched this play. Now, the main character of Atticus Finch was played by a well-known actor, one whose career goes back a long ways, Richard Thomas, best known, perhaps, as John Boy Walton from the classic TV show, The Waltons. Now, I'm well familiar with this show, even though it originally aired before my time. It was oftentimes on rerun. My parents used to love it, and they would watch it all the time. And so I've probably seen just about every episode at one point or another. And it's interesting thinking about John Boy playing Atticus Finch, which is a very much a different role, definitely not one that I was used to seeing him in, even though I've seen him show up in a lot of different things. But it was interesting to see this different characterization, this different take, compared with John Boy, as I'm familiar with. Now, there are many, many different episodes of the Waltons that I could reference, but there's one that I'm thinking about in reference to our scripture for tonight that seems fitting. And it's one that talks about the, the idea of a revival. Now, if you're familiar with the Waltons, you know that that family, they're probably considered a little bit Baptist. In fact, I even remember that statement being made by John Boy at one point or another during the course of the show. 
And one of the things that they seemingly do in this, this story or in this family or in this community is every single summer, every single year, they have a revival. And a guest preacher comes in and they all gather in the church. The community gathers in the church. And for what seems like hours upon hours upon hours, there's this ongoing revival and everybody's in it. Now, you have seen this episode. Maybe you'll remember what I'm talking about. But it's interesting to, to, to visualize because to me, it's just so foreign. This is not something I've ever really participated in, and this preaching style is not one that I really go for. But it's always in the summertime, and as time passes, the, 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 the preacher is, is getting more and more heated and more and more worked up, and, and the coat comes off, and the sleeves roll up, and, and the sweat's pouring down. As if, if you look at everyone who's in the congregation, their fans are out, and it's hot, and everybody's sweating. It's more and more uncomfortable the entire time. And as things are going on, he's, he's, it's very fire and brimstone-y. Like, you've got to do this, and this is what you've got to do. And he's pounding on the pulpit, and, and the volume comes up, and, and he gets more and more worked up and more and more worked up. And, and gradually, he turns his attention on different people and different individuals. And he, he storms, and he storms, and he storms. And most of them eventually get up, and they run to the altar, and they kneel. And, and then, ultimately, it will, it will also culminate as, as these different individuals gather at the river and they are baptized. That happens a little bit later in the, in the episode. But what I'm really remembering about this is first, the, the pastor, the preacher, he, he turns his eyes on one of the younger brothers, younger brother Ben, who has not been baptized at this particular age. And he's storming at him, and pretty soon Ben's eyes get real big, and he, he jumps up and he runs to the altar. And eventually, yes, he is baptized. Then, the preacher turns his attention towards John Sr., who has never been baptized. And it's the same type of thing, and he's hollering, and he's screaming, and he's pushing, and he's pushing, and he's going for that reaction, and pretty soon, John Sr. stands up, and he walks out, because he's not going to have it. Now, I think about this whole thing, not because of what happens one way or the other, but just this idea of that really urgent style of preaching that seems to be present within that episode, within that scene. And I think it's present in what we hear today, too. In this passage from the Apostle Paul, there seems to be a sense of urgency. And it's almost, I can almost feel some fire and brimstone style preaching in there when we hear, now is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. And I don't know if he would have talked like that or got himself all worked up, but there is that sense of urgency. Now, if you're not familiar with what's going on in the various letters to the Corinthians that Paul wrote. We have two of them. We have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but scholars believe there were actually more letters that were going back and forth, and there was some angst. There was some animosity going on between Paul and this community, and it seems that he is trying to make amends. It, it, it seems that he is, on one hand, both sticking up for himself and his ministry, but also he's attempting to be reconciled. That really seems to be a lot of what lies at the heart of this letter. And he's talking so much about reconciliation and how reconciliation between individuals is possible and that through Christ, through what Jesus has done through his life and his death and his resurrection, it has also made reconciliation with God possible. And then he makes this statement. It's actually a quote from the prophet Isaiah. 
It says, at an acceptable time, I, God, have listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I have helped you. He's referencing that old thing, but then he reminds the people, he reminds his audience that now is the time. This is the acceptable time. This is the day of salvation. And I just sort of find myself wondering, what is he talking about? Why is he pushing so hard? Why is he trying to get their attention? In fact, as I think about this, I also think about some of the message that we talked about last Sunday. If you happen to be in worship last Sunday, I talked about the the Greek word idu, which means behold, and it's really intended to get your attention, and that's in here too. In fact, that's in the original language. Behold, now is the time. This is the day of salvation. So what is Paul talking about? As we hear all about these, these items of reconciliation, And we think about the idea of Ash Wednesday. All of this all tied in together. What is going on? Now, I've talked a little bit about the whole fire and brimstone-y thing. And if you know me, you know that's not my style. You know that's not the thing that I go for. I don't think that it's good. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's proper that we try and use fear to subsequently get a response. Like, turn back to God because you're afraid of dying and going to hell. Like, honestly, that bugs the dickens out of me. And I don't think that's what Paul's getting at. I don't think that's what he wants us to do. I don't think that's what Christ is trying to get at. I believe that God, through Jesus, has somehow overcome the powers of sin and brokenness and death that is a part of every single one of us and is a part of this reality. And God, through Christ, has somehow made reconciliation between humanity and God possible. So what do we do with that? And why do we focus on that here on Ash Wednesday? Well, this is all a good question. I think that the truth of the gospel, the truth that is revealed through the scriptures is that we are called to be honest about ourselves. We're called to be honest with God because God knows all this stuff anyway and recognize, come clean about those those aspects of our lives where we see that brokenness, where we see we are not perfect people. We call this repentance as we, we confess our sins, we confess our brokenness, and I think about the importance of doing that in our day-to-day lives. Here in our Lutheran tradition, and specifically here in our congregation, pretty much every single Sunday, one of the first things that we do is the brief order of confession and forgiveness. I've talked about this recently. I've talked about this in some recent, some recent sermons when we, we acknowledge corporately that we are broken people and we have sinned against God in our thoughts, words, and deeds, and we've sinned against one another. It's part of our reality. It's part of our faith tradition. Tonight, on Ash Wednesday, we do the same thing. Shortly, we'll share in a time of, of confession. It's not the brief order that we normally do, but it's a a different specific time of confession. We'll share in that. And then we will hear words that remind us of our mortality. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We remember in this, we acknowledge that our time of life, that our time on this planet, that our time when the spark of life is in each one of us is fleeting, and it doesn't last forever. We recognize that. We acknowledge that. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Here within our congregation, here within our community, and kind of our extended community as well, there's been a lot of hard stuff. We've got a lot of people dealing with some really difficult diagnosis, 
with some health concerns, with some ongoing health situations. There's been a lot of community people, both uh, kind of peripheral to our congregation, that have died. There's been a lot of sudden pain that way. There's just been a lot of stuff. And I was talking with one of our members earlier this week just about this reality. We were acknowledging the difficult aspect of that. And I think when we acknowledge our own mortality, when we acknowledge all of this stuff, all of these things that we think about on Ash Wednesday, it all ties in for us to recognize that life, while good, is not perfect, and that tomorrow, while anticipated, is not guaranteed. If I have learned anything in my time as a pastor, if I have learned anything in my time here in our community, it's that at any given moment, a life can end. We don't expect it to, but it can. And that is a painful reality. And it's unfortunately one that every single one of us will also experience at one point. That's another part of this Ash Wednesday that we focus in on, that we recognize. And when we hear those words, remember that you are dust. You came from the dust and you are alive now, but when your life is over, your body will return to the dust again. That's what all of this is. We hear that. We acknowledge our mortality and our own finite being. But then we also hear the words the promise that is of God, that the grace and mercy that is made possible through the body and blood of Jesus is for you. And that somehow the promise of the gospel, whatever it is that God is doing, it has overcome that power of brokenness and sin and death that we all experience. I greatly appreciate the practice that we do here in our congregation in a normal Ash Wednesday when we receive the ashes on our foreheads and we hear those words immediately followed by the promise that we receive in Holy Communion. And in just another moment, we will share in that same situation again together here in the digital realm. You will hear those words and then you will hear that promise altogether. May that serve as a reminder for you, not only on this day, but every day going forward, when we recognize the freedom that we have in Jesus, when we recognize the power of the promise of God made real through his blood and through his broken body, through his death and his resurrection, that we see this world that we are a part of is good, but not perfect. We too share in that. Yet the promise of God is made real for each and every one of us.